Yeah, when you think of Netflix, you don't think of, well, I'm going to go watch, you know, such and such movie on Netflix. Some people do that, but it's about the original content on Netflix. That's what you get Netflix for. Fan Podcast number 369. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. Hi, David. How are you? I'm not too bad today, thank you. Good. That's always good to hear. I like to hear it because you were good instead of not too bad. No. Not, not too bad signifies that yeah. you're bad, but you're not no, as bad in- as it could be. The English way is to always self-deprecate and, and not be too enthusiastic about anything. I had an interesting day today. I took... Uh, we're going through... We're trying to find colleges for Alexander to do his, um, I don't know what it's called in the States, uh, but in, in, here in the, here in the UK, most schools, they only teach you up to 16 and you do your first set of exams up to 16 and those are called GCSEs. And then you do, uh, more harder, harder exams between 17 and 18. Those are called A levels and that's what you use to get yourself into university. So, um, many schools in, in England now do not do not directly do your A-levels. You have to go to a different school. So we've been going around trying to find a school for him. So we've been visiting loads of different uh, sixth form colleges to try and find one that he likes and that has the subjects he wants and that kind of appears to have the right kind of academic attitude. So we did. We visited one of those first thing this morning. And then we went to an exhibition of bees that um, we've had here in Manchester. They've had a an art exhibition over the summer where all of these fiberglass sculptures of bees that have been painted by different organisations have been put all around the city. And um, the, this last weekend, they collected them all up and they're going to auction them all off this week. So they had them all on the exhibition together. And my daughter in particular has been very enamoured with these. So we went to see them all and I had to take around about 150 iPhone pictures of her in front of every different type of bee that there has been on display. Sounds like fun. It was fun. Yeah, she enjoyed it. Um, it was pouring with rain, so that was that was a slight down, downer. But then it's Manchester in October. You kind of got to expect that. So now I need to pull together a. She at school apparently the kid who comes in with the most pictures with bees is going to win some sort of prize. So she thinks by going to see all of them that she's she's a, a shoe in for the prize. So I now have to figure out a way how to um, economically print 150 odd iPhone pictures so she can take them in and show them. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> so, I'm thinking of some sort of collage or contact print or something like that is the way to go, you know. And, of course, or you do something like pictures. that. Yeah, exactly. You do something like that, and you realize that um, it's actually quite hard to make those pictures interesting. She, For some reason, she, she would, behind every... Uh, these things are about, I don't know, about five, six feet tall uh, on a plinth. And then there's a little plaque that explains the thinking of the artist who's decorated this particular bee. Some of them are very, very inventive. A lot of stuff about the the industrial history of Manchester and things like that on these. Um, quite a few about um, famous people from Manchester have been put... And they each had a kind of a, a pun bee name, you know. Um, so they're all quite good. But, of course, she would go and stand exactly the same place next to each one and <laughs> smile. Of course. 
And if you're not careful, you end up with oh, basically a picture that's identical, except the colour of paint on the bee uh, and the, the the thing on the bee. So I was trying to encourage her to do some different things and take them from different angles and that sort of stuff, but it was hard work. I, I would have tried to get the exact same framing for every single picture and put her in exactly the same fra- uh, framing and then just made a flip book. <laughs> I, did, I did consider that, but then I thought that... Um, Perhaps the uh, the artistic approach of that might be lost on the school. <laughs> you could have started her on one side, and she so, like uh, walks anyway. across all these different bees and clapping her hands, and yeah. that'd be funny. Yeah, exactly. So I take it you're at home. Well, I'm home now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could tell because the listener probably can't hear it because you're recording it on your end, and I'm recording on my end. But your internet connection is terrible. Uh, there is a very good chance my wife is upstairs watching Netflix and she, cause she doesn't know I'm here. I, I was going to go to the office and do this today, but as I explained to you just before we came on, I got down there and then found that I didn't have my access card to get into the building. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to come rushing back. So she's probably, in fact, she's probably put Netflix on and yet fallen asleep in front of it. Mm-hmm. But that's probably sucking up our bandwidth. Funnily enough, yeah. you sound okay to me. Yeah, well... And that's kind of funny because, well, I've got a much better internet connection, but uh, one of Julie's old iPhones is becoming Cole's new glorified iPod Touch, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, I backed it up, and then I restored, or I I should say I nuked her old phone, Mm -hmm. and then I restored it from one of his backups from about a month ago. Right. And I don't know, well, yeah, I do know why. I was going to say, well, I backed it up, and I restored it. It should be fine, but... I just remembered iTunes, of course, doesn't do anything as far as the backup other than settings, and even that's dubious. It all has to come down from the cloud. So all his games right now are downloading on that iPhone. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I got a pretty good internet connection thanks to uh, Comcast. It works. You know, this is part of the problem with the cloud thing. You can buy... Well, I think that the top-end phones now are 512 gigabytes, aren't they? If for any reason you had filled that up with apps, and then you do a restore, you've got a big problem. Even if you have a very fast internet connection, you've got a big problem. Yep. That's why I don't like this cloud-only crap. I think it's bad. Yeah. You know, I could have had his phone restored in, in, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour at the most, and instead you just got to share bandwidth and download everything again. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be particularly... Again, bearing, especially bearing in mind that Apple is all about the environmental credentials. I mean, data centers, mm-hmm. they cost money to run, and uh, sending stuff over the internet also costs power, um, time, energy, all, all of that sort of stuff. So the fact that they're constantly having you re-download the same thing over and over again um, for that reason is probably not ideal no let's let's stay with uh, apple for a minute there last week i discussed how uh the crackdown that i experienced from apple on uh companies like the one i was working for mac specialist um tom wrote in tom of course Mm -hmm. worked for an apple specialist as well and he sent us this message on twitter and he says my 20 years of experience at first tech doing repairs 
Apple never questioned us using third-party memory and hard drive disk for Apple. Our experience was not what you'd mentioned, Tim. I agree with David regarding the T2 chip. Um, the, here's the thing. Tom was a tech there. I know for a fact he wasn't on some of the higher-level calls that I was on um, with a lot of Apple specialists and Apple. It was a weekly phone conversation that didn't always happen weekly. And... That's why I know this did happen. I know for a fact that Apple was threatening all of these companies. Maybe Tom didn't hear about this. Maybe his ownership didn't share this data with him. But Apple was absolutely cracking down on using third-party upgrades uh, to the point where they were on the phone. And I could use names for people at Apple, but I'm not going to. Um, threatening to pull uh, licenses from companies that were egregiously never using Apple parts for upgrades or warranty replacements. Now I understand warranty replacements. That's, you know, it's a warranty item. You gotta, you gotta use Apple parts. That was completely acceptable, but upgrades, that's ridiculous. That's something that's out of warranty and has nothing to do with Apple, but of course they wanted their cut. So it's, this wasn't my opinion, Tom, (laughs) I was in on these very high level discussions and you know, it, it was ridiculous. There were now, is there a chance that maybe this, these policies are perhaps regional and, you know, no. say, well, sales well, manager his comp- or an Apple manager well, for, for the Chicago area might have a, which obviously is, uh, you know, a bigger customer base and, and also has more official Apple outlets might have a different view on this than somebody like Tom who, you know, Tom's in Minneapolis, isn't it? So yeah, it was um, the same region. Kind of, yeah. It, it was covered by the same region as you. Yes. Right. Okay. No. And it wasn't a regional thing um, because I would be talking to people, other Apple specialists in Colorado and Arizona, California, uh, Florida. Um, heck, we were talking to the same people that were running uh, the one in New York. I'm drawing a blank on their name right now. They're a big one. Just completely blanked out on their name. I had it a second ago and it's gone. Um, there, there was actually uh, a lot of discussion before. I, I, it's hard to not say the guy's name at Apple who was yeah. in charge of all of this. Um, and then the Apple specialist people or the, uh, Apple care people would come down to our shops and throw a hissy fit when they saw how many third party hard drives that we would have for upgrading customers, computers. Um, the store that I had built in Oak park was what Apple care wanted as the model going forward for all, um, Apple care facilities, third party. I mean, we had rubber floors, we had amazing lights, great safety features. Um, it, it was, it was a model of what they wanted. And yeah. so Apple care people came to our Oak park store six or seven times in one year to take a lot of pictures and kind of put together this portfolio of how they want all future Apple specialists to have their service department anti-static. And I mean, clean environment, everything, just what you would expect, um, right. which is a far cry from what Apple had in their own stores, which I've seen a lot of those, and they're just a, a, an atrocious mess. Um, so we were the model that Apple was trying to you know, push out there. So I, I got to be in a lot of these meetings, and, and not just 
us and Apple, but Apple and a lot of our competitors. And I, I knew what the policy was. I knew what they were threatening. And again, this wasn't my opinion. This isn't my opinion. This is fact. This is what they said. This is what they were threatening with. So while I respect that, you know, and a hundred percent believe that Tom didn't experience this, Tom was a tech there. He wasn't in on these high level meetings. Or if he was, he never told me about him. And if he was, then he would know that this is what Apple was threatening because that's how it was. Apple was not happy with any Apple specialist using any parts in any Apple computer, regardless of age, that wasn't from Apple, that wasn't authorized by Apple to be used. And we're just talking about stuff like uh, a Western digital hard drive. Well, Apple used Western digital hard drives, but... Oh no, it's not the right one. You got to use these. You can't use those. Um, hmm. Don't go to Ingram Micro to get your your memory and your uh, hard hard drives. You, you order them through Apple. It was it was bizarre. It was insulting, well, and you know Apple got their cut, but it meant that the Apple specialists would make. And I'm not kidding, seventy five percent less by using the Apple hard drive rather than yeah. one we can get at Ingram Micro. Well, not only that as well, you're kind of, you're charging the customer more for identical parts as well. Mm-hmm. You've got to pass those costs on. Um, and, uh, and, and worse than that, really, you're disadvantaging the customers who have little technical knowledge because they're, they're the people who can't go out and do their own thing. Well, it, it was you know, beyond that. Some, it some, was, uh, Apple would only, at the time, let's say they would only offer a 500 gigabyte hard drive. Yeah. Well, the customer wanted a, a one terabyte hard drive. Well, what do you do then? You, Apple yeah. didn't supply that, so you had to get another one. So it was it was ridiculous. There were workarounds. One of the workarounds that I know um, at least one other Apple special was using was they would sell the hard drive over the counter to the customer, and then the customer would say, oh, by the way, I want to have you guys do this work for me and hand them the hard drive. Yeah. No. Well, now it's a customer-supplied part. So where's the yeah. problem there? Uh, so that yeah. was kind of uh, a sneaky workaround, but and of course, you know, look at the way Apple's machines have gone now, in that they are increasingly less and less user serviceable, um, and even a specialist can't do anything. You can't do anything with soldered in RAM, soldered in SSDs. Effectively, at that point, your uh, upgrade options are off the table. Well, yes and no. Our sponsor does stuff like that, though. Yeah. Uh, Mac yeah, specialist but, offer or uh, Mac sales offers uh, the the ability to send in your hard drive or your computer. It's, it's right on the bottom of their homepage. It's uh, what's it called here? Uh, OWC upgrade service. Upgrade your Mac with certified professional installation. iMac Pro, Mac Pro, iMac, and Mac Mini. So you cool. send them your products and they will do it because some of those things are soldered on there and. The average mortal probably doesn't want to start soldering inside their Mac Pro. <laughs> well, you, you you need to have to, the sort of soldering we're talking about. Um, it's not the sort of stuff you do with your uh, Radio Shack soldering iron. You need specialist equipment to desolder RAM from a, a modern motherboard. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So thanks for the feedback, Tom. Um, you know, gives us a chance to hit on this subject yet again. Um, I maintain what I said, though. It's... I know what Apple's practices were. I know why they were doing it. I know the excuses that they gave, and I knew how they were threatening to crack down on people. Did they ever threat, or did they ever crack down on us? No. Uh, to my knowledge, did they ever crack down 
on anybody? No. As far as I know, they they never yeah. imposed that penalty on anybody. But, That's not um, really the point. I, yeah. I, I do remember, actually, the, this Mac that I'm using now, my uh, Retina MacBook Pro. Uh, I had the battery change in this by third party um, when I first bought it because the original battery was pretty weak. Um, I bought it secondhand. I had it changed by third party, and then when I took it in because it had a um, a fault with the uh, Thunderbolt ports, um, the guy at Apple said, um, and, and I was looking for Apple to, to pay Apple to fix this, the guy at Apple basically said, well, um, yeah, somebody's been in here and been doing repairs. So I just kind of said, oh, have they? You know, oh, yeah, they've not put this together the way we would do it. And uh, clearly didn't know what they were doing. And he kind of implied that they broke the Thunderbolt ports, um, even though I knew that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and so I said, well, OK. I said, so can you fix it? Oh, no, we can't work on this now because it's been worked on by a third party. Mm-hmm. You know, which I kind of understand. In no, the, that's know, BS. They, that's BS. Come well, on. No, that's well, not right. Uh, yeah, on I, I mean, yeah, I, look, I, I, in one respect, I can understand it because potentially if some, they, if, from their point of view, they're going, if somebody's been in here and they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't use our processes, then they could have broken other things, which if they then come to light during the repair, the customer's going to expect us to foot the bill for. I'm not saying I agree with that. I understand where they were coming from. It kind of the problem is if you if you take that and you extrapolate it out to another industry, so like for instance the car industry, you would never ever go into um, a Toyota dealership with your Toyota and then turn around and say, "Oh, well, it looks like somebody else has changed the oil here, so we can't do any work on this car anymore." Exactly. You know? Um, yeah. So, but but by the same token. Um, what annoyed me about that is that um, even if they had been prepared to work in the computer, they were talking about a full logic board replacement. Right. Uh, five, six hundred pounds, something like that. Quite a substantial worth, potentially the value of the computer. And I sent it off to a, a third party guy um, who I, I think at the time mentioned it on the show. You did. Um, and I think, I, th- I think it cost about 70, 80 pounds to have the ports fixed. Well, and he that's... basically did what he did what what OWC would have done. He basically desoldered the old ports off the board and yep. soldered new ones on, checked they were working, job done. Well, that kind of plays right into what uh, Russ and John Nemo sent us uh, as feedback for last week's show about an investigation. And they both sent the same one. Uh, Nemo sent one, or Russ sent one that I think was half of the episode and Nemo sent the full one or Reverse. I don't remember which who sent what, but it was basically the same thing that uh, in Canada they went undercover this news organization because they were getting a ton of complaints from customers saying that Apple is trying to sell them new hardware instead of fixing uh, the existing hardware, saying that well it's not worth fixing the old one because look at how much it's going to cost. You should just buy a new one. Um, these are the things that people accuse Apple of and. The diehard Apple fans say, "Oh, that doesn't happen. That's not that's not Ooh. Apple's way." Um, well, this news organization, and granted, this was one case. They went into an Apple store, and the guy basically said he had to replace the whole screen and maybe the motherboard and something else. Um, and oh, look, it's not going to be covered under warranty because the liquid um, sensors had been triggered. They're red now, and of right. course, humidity can do that doesn't mean something spilled in there and he took it to a third party who fixed it literally for nothing because it was a pin out of place connecting the backlighting to the motherboard 
And he said he wouldn't even charge a customer for that. It was obvious. He looked under a microscope, saw it, and said, yeah, fixed it, bent it back, and good to go. And yet Apple's trying to say that, well, it's the cost of repair is, is more than a brand-new computer. So, you know, we could do it, but, you know, you, maybe you should just buy a new computer. And that goes a long way to substantiating what people have been saying for a long time, that Apple pushes people to new hardware rather than making it easy to fix existing hardware. And a lot of people accuse Apple's slowdown gate, battery gate, on exactly that. And that Apple only reversed course when this came to light, that they were intentionally slowing down old iPhones. And we talked about this too, and I still don't, I still don't buy Apple's excuse that, oh, well, we did this to, to help customers get more battery life from their phones. Really? That, that's your excuse. Oh, no, this was, this is, this isn't a, this is a benefit. Are you kidding me? We're, we're, we're not slowing them down so you think you need a new iPhone. Really? There was no dialogue. Like your phone is going to be slow because your battery is going bad. Nothing like that. They just arbitrarily decided to slow people's phones down. They reached into their phones that people had paid money for, they own, and and purposely slowed them down. Now, I know at the time you were arguing like, well, yeah, but you got to look at it from Apple's perspective. I don't because they were driving sales to new iPhones. Does Apple report how many iPhones that they repair or do they report profitability on how many new iPhones they sell? Tick, yeah, talk, no, you're right. Tick, but have, ha- having said that... Um, uh, you look at their last um, the last keynote, and they actually made a point of saying they were trying to make their devices last longer. Sure. So, now, after, they, after these reports keep coming out, and well, they were manipulating okay, so, people's iPhones so they would buy new ones. So they, yeah, they could have just doubled down on it and said, no, it's industry practice, and we know what we're doing and everything like that. Instead, they reverse course. So uh, at least give them that, that they... Whatever you feel about the motivations behind it, they have at least changed their mind and changed their view. And and let's face it, in the last keynote, there was no need for them to make uh, an environmental statement about how long they want their devices to last, and yet they did. So what, if the outcome of this is that, in fact, that they've changed course on that, then at least they've had the humility to change course. I'll give them if that if they, if they actually have changed course. Yeah. If something and, like and, this is... But yet the right to repair issue is still there. That Apple is still yeah. making phones and computers that you can't repair yourself. And that if you do, yeah, but, uh, oh, yeah. avoid the warranty. Uh, and that'd be fine. Uh, I accept that. Except that that is the industry nowadays. It, it's basically, it's the, it's the West nowadays. Everything I agree, but that have. doesn't make it right. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's right. I completely not agree with you, but... The, you know, you you go you go ahead to take a Surface Microsoft Surface that's broken, a new one to the to the uh, to the Microsoft store, and they will take it off you and they will give you a refurb because yep. they can't repair them. Yeah, they certainly can't repair them in the store. Uh, they have to be sent off to to presumably to China to have to be refurbished. Yeah. Right, and the and refurbished most, ones they give most, you are the ones that were repaired. Yeah, and most modern consumer electronics are like that. 
And unfortunately, if you look at plenty of other industries like the clothing industry and the food industry and all these other things, something goes wrong. Yeah. Nowadays, they've optimized their supply chain stuff that the cheapest way of dealing with a customer problem is swap it out for replacement. And environmentally and economically, it's crazy. And yet that is where we've got to in today's consumer society. Everything has become so cheap. Um, and let's face it, even with these computers here, I know Apple Apple laptops are expensive, yeah, but they're a fraction of what they used to cost. The first Apple laptops, when they first came out, were the equivalent of ten thousand dollars today. Yeah, they're now they're now they're at a quarter of that, and, and some of them are a lot cheaper. And the yep. problem with that driving down of prices and everything to do with that is that it's much easier to have things to be black boxes, and something goes wrong with them, and you say you need a new one. And the problem is then if you're out of warranty and they say you need a new one, then you are stuck with buying a new one rather than getting it repaired. Mm-hmm. And even modern cars are like that. Half the time, you take a car in, you say there's a fault with it, and they plug a computer into it and they try and figure out what's going wrong. Yeah, and then what they do, and I've been through this myself, is they, they say, right, well, we're going to try replacing this sensor in the engine and this wire over here uh, and this unit here. It's all, they, they basically treat it as a modular, and they basically replace bits of it until it's, it starts working the way it's meant to. There's no well, that's always, been the, that's, that's, that's always been the case in cars, though. Don't think that older cars, they knew for a fact that it was this thing doing it because th- that's not accurate. The, it, treating health of a human being and fixing a car are very similar in that you diagnose the problem. It's most likely this and this because we've seen it before. And so we'll replace these things and that should take care of it. And sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. There's no difference. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, but the right to repair, I think should be whether it's a difficult repair or not the right to repair means that you, the consumer, have a right to repair your equipment, whether you do it yourself or you take it to a third party, without fear of, you know, them washing their hands of everything. Now, look, if, if yeah. there's there's some stipulations to that, of course, to, and there is to everything, but I am always going to come down on the side of the consumer. I just am. That's just who I am. And yep. when companies become anti-consumer, that's where I have problems. Uh, is ant is Apple anti-consumer? No, but I think this business practice of hey, somebody else put a battery in here, we can't do anything. No, that's wrong. And credit where credits due, Apple does go out of their way to reverse course on some of these things. But my experience with Apple says they have a certain mentality, and it's to only to Apple's benefit most of the time. Not to the yeah. anybody else, not to their partners, well, not think, to yeah. I think we all the we are. I mean, you and I both, both recognize for a long time that that uh, Apple is a corporation, and there is probably one of the more ruthless comp- uh, corporations out there. Yeah, I've said for many many years, and look, I'm a guy who started my Mac magazine back in 1995. Okay, that's still going strong. That you know, I, I've never been a fan of Apple as a company because it's a giant company and you're not supposed to be fans of a giant company any more than you're supposed to be a fan of Exxon Mobil uh, or, or British Petroleum. I mean, <laughs> you're not supposed yeah. to, but you can be fans of the culture that has sprung up around that company or that company's products. You could be a fan of the Amiga computer. 
that doesn't mean that you were a fan of Jack Trammell's at the time. You can be a fan of of uh, the iMac, but that doesn't mean that you got to put um, Tim Cook on some kind of a pedestal that he can do no wrong. There's a difference yeah. between the corporate structure and the and the company that makes a product, and the culture and the community that springs up around said products. That's why I liked going to uh, Macworld Expo in the day. Uh, that's why I liked going to Mac Stock every year, um, because it's the culture of the people. It's not the the culture of the company. Yeah. You can't be a, a fan of a company that makes trillions and trillions of dollars because guess what money absolutely corrupts on that kind of a level and you know they're a company at the end of the day they're they got to do what's right for their shareholders and for themselves and you know you look at the reports that's going on right now in silicon valley where the wage disparity between those at the top and those at the bottom are growing larger and larger and larger at a much larger rate than it is in the rest of the united states that People are going homeless in Silicon Valley, and yet the wages in Silicon Valley are going way up, but only the wages for the very top 10%. You know, the, the corporate managers of companies like Apple and Microsoft, and well, not Microsoft because they're not in Silicon Valley, but or Netflix or any of these kind of companies, those people are making all kinds of money, and yet the people at the bottom, the people say that clean the toilets for those companies. They're living in their cars. Yeah. So, uh, no, I'm not a fan of the big companies, but I am a fan of, you know, the guys who write at my Mac, you know, the guys over at the Mac Observer who do their thing every day. That that that's the the culture of that is what I'm a fan of. Yep. So, anyways, let's okay. talk about Microsoft for a second because you put this in the show notes. I've been reading about this that there's a there's an update to Windows that Microsoft basically pulled. Upgrade, uh, upgrade uh, 1809 to Windows 10. Yeah. This is the background to this is that Microsoft nowadays likes to pretend that Windows 10 is a service. So the idea is, is that it just you know, constantly upgrades itself in the background as, as and when they deem fit. Um, and actually, part of the deal with Windows 10, particularly the, the uh, first couple of years when it, was, when it was available for free for anybody with an older Windows license, was that you, you had to sign up to these updates. You basically had no way of stopping them. Yep. In reality, every six months or so, they do a big, uh, what, what you and I would previously have called a big release. Yeah, and um, the you know the last one was 1803, uh, which was its code number. This one, 1809, um, was meant to be the next one. Uh, and the problem is, they started rolling it out, and under certain circumstances, people found that all of their document data disappeared mm. as part of that upgrade, which it absolutely is not meant to do. And the problem is, is that as I say, they try very hard not to make out that this is a big release that this is a big deal. They, they just kind of make it appear to be a patch. But the thing is, it's not. It's a full, effectively, operating system upgrade underneath, um, which, of course, confuses people even more when their computer reboots after saying it needs an update. And then, for a start, stuff has changed, quite sometimes quite substantially changed. And then, secondly, they find all their documents have disappeared. Could be this is a... Yeah, ab- exactly. So they, they basically stop pushing this update out because of this problem. Um, and really, this brings the focus on the fact that, um, like many companies in software nowadays, Microsoft's testing process is 
pretty weak. It's not robust, and I think this kind of proves it's not fit for purpose. They made a big deal a few years ago. It became big news that they'd actually uh, fired most of the people who worked in test engineering at Microsoft. Uh, they they scaled it down to a much much smaller team, and now they have this uh, these insider rings, these various different levels of people, uh, you know, enthusiasts who are meant to test beta test software for them before it comes out. The problem is, is of course, is that beta testers um, of the public are not professional engineering testers. They will comment on things they think are important they'll probably ignore something then something that's not of course these people aren't being paid um so probably only the most enthusiastic even file bug reports on these betas um and then you are relying on microsoft to pick up what what effects effectively a bug report in a forum and actually do something about it and it appears in this case plenty of people had advised them that this was this under certain circumstances this data deletion was happening they were trying to consolidate some sort of symbolic link for your data or something that from an again an old system of windows used to have that's not been used for ages they were trying to effectively wipe it away and make it more simple um and unfortunately their code for that was bad and in certain circumstances it would go right well let's get rid of that directory now ignoring the fact it was full of data um and yes people had filed bug reports but microsoft hadn't really noticed it uh, and so hadn't fixed it and then went with the final release mm. so all in all it, i think you know it shows that you know, public beta testing, it has a place, but really it should not be your only major test for operating system upgrades, which is what this is. Yeah, that's an issue. Well, particularly, for a, yeah, particularly for a company like Microsoft, who kind of like to portray themselves as, you know, the grown-ups in the room when it comes to operating system software. You know, they've always had this thing where, as, you know, well... Apple, Apple is fine for the, uh, you know, Apple is fine for the, um, you know, the artistic types, and Chromebooks are fine for education. But you know, here in business, we we want to get real work done. Then you need a Microsoft system, um, and then for a system like that to come out and basically delete people's data, and the difficulty is, is they are the biggest player in the market. So even if it's, I mean, they. they they blogged that apparently it was a tiny percentage, you know, 0.001% of their users had encountered that prob- this problem. The that problem is they have so many users. Exactly. Yeah. That's thousands of people. Thousands of people had their data deleted, you know. Uh, that could be an issue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, even during the upgrade process, it actually puts a banner up on the screen saying, we are doing an upgrade. Don't worry. Everything will be back, back where it was when we're finished. And this just it goes to show that you know, as great as some of the new current technologies are, and it is, the, some of the new technology is just amazing out there. Um, at the end of the day, you still have to have a local backup of your data. If you're not backing up your data, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I don't true, care if you're on a Microsoft or a, or yeah. a Mac or... You know, you gotta you gotta have backup of your stuff because you know this happens that Microsoft releases this and you're completely screwed. Except, well, I've got to back up my stuff, so I'm okay. Well, the problem, of course, is that uh, I think companies, even companies like Microsoft, particularly, know from the stats they receive from their computers of, of people who use their products that there's an awful lot of people who don't back up. Yep. And and you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of like saying. You know, let's use a car analogy again. It's like saying to uh, saying to uh, people who buy cars, well, you know what? Um, we put airbags in the cars, but you know, you need to buckle your seatbelt up. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's the same. There are a certain number of people of their customers who they know will never buckle up their seatbelt. Exactly. And therefore, you have to protect those people from themselves. And what you can't do is say, well, you know, if um, everyone knows you should buckle up the seatbelt, so if you don't buckle up the seatbelt, well, don't expect the car to protect you because, you know, um, that's not our job. Our job is to protect people who are wearing their seatbelts. It's the same with this, you know. Microsoft cannot make changes that delete people's data, even though people should have backups. Speaking um, of backups, though, they yep. really should talk to OWC if they need backup solutions, David. Oh. See how I did that, that, that segue was smoother than uh, a quart of molybdenum oil pulled, pulled on a garage floor. <laughs> you guys can get an <laughs> OWC Mercury on the go pro. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to go anywhere. It can sit on your desktop forever, but it's a clear cased hard drive that you just plug into your drive or your computer up to two terabytes bus powered. So no extra cords. You just plug it into your uh, USB 3.1 port and it backs up. You just drag and drop your data. You can use a cool program like Carbon Copy Cloner or uh, what's the other one? Disk Doubler. And, uh, uh, super Duper. Super Duper. Disk yeah. Doubler. No, that's another OWC product, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's easy to back up. There's free software for you guys to use to back up your data. And if you're not backing up your data... You know, I would say don't come crying to us, but I've heard the horror stories and I've experienced them when I was at Mac Specialist as an example. And when I was running my own company, doing a lot of consulting work that people wouldn't back up their data. I told a story way back in the day in the early tech fans where a lady brought her computer in and she had never backed up and all her daughter's photos were on there since she was born. And she was like two years old at that point. And you turn it on, you can literally hear the hard drive clicking. Click, 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 yeah. click, click. Dead. You know, you, you feel terrible for this person. You know, there's there's companies like Drive Savers that you can literally send that hard drive to, and they can, in a clean room, pull apart the platters and see if they can rescue some data. And they actually have a pretty high success rate of doing so. But it's thousands of dollars. Well, is your yeah. daughter's photos from when she was born, the only photos you have of her for the first two years of her life, is that worth thousands of dollars? Maybe. Well, maybe, but the thing is... A couple of hundred dollars in a backup drive is a much better investment. A whole lot better investment. Yeah. I guarantee no, you that I lady to this day is still backing up her hard drive. Yeah. I presume, of course, this um, OWC drive you mentioned will work equally well on a Windows computer if that's what you want to do. Oh, absolutely. It's just a USB so, 3 hard drive. I mean, right. so plug it in. and Anybody, anybody um, bearing in mind, as I say, Windows 10, every six months you're going to get one of these big upgrades. Yep. Yeah, it is worth keeping your data copied onto a separate USB drive off your main Windows computer, especially if you have a laptop. Yep. Yeah? You oh, plug absolutely. The thing in just once, yeah. Plug the thing in just one, once a week. Now, it's not as easy. The, um, Windows Backup is a pretty terrible, terrible program. And they used to have a thing that was a bit like Time Machine, but they've deprecated it because Microsoft. Yeah. So uh, you'll probably have to pay for some sort of third-party software or alternatively, you'll have to do something yourself drag and drop or what have you but you know what um backing up just data is uh, on a modern computer is normally pretty easy because Very easy. the data the data is normally in a documents folder or, or something like that and you just need to back up that folder and you're done 
We do have a uh, wiki trolling segment this week. We're going to look at Netflix, but before we get there, two weeks ago I was telling you guys how I got a Pandora's box um, and that they sent me the wrong one. They sent me a 4S, and I actually ordered a 5S, um, and that they were offering money back at the time, and they I didn't respond. Remember, I hadn't responded yeah. yet. Well, then they did respond that they actually got some new units in, and they sent me uh, another Pandora's box, and I have two now, David. And you <laughs> said last week that you actually ordered one. So I did, what yeah. did you order? What did you get? And have you tried it yet? So well, I got a let's, let's explain what the Pandora's box is, though. Go yeah. ahead. So the Pandora's box effectively is a... Uh, well, the, the original one actually was a jammer board in a kind of a big console case with either one or two sets of controllers, uh, arcade-quality controllers, so a um, an eight-way joystick, uh, normally six or eight buttons. Um, and it looks... The original ones were designed so that you could uh, open up an arcade cabinet, take out the control deck, put this thing in, in its place, and then wire it up to the... Um, to the monitor, and so the then you would basically easily be able to convert an arcade cabinet into something that would run, you know, hundreds of games. Now what they've done is they've moved them to, because they became increasingly popular, they've moved into this standalone model. So you basically, you, you power it up, you plug, it comes with an AC adapter, you uh, plug it in with HDMI into your TV, turn it on, and you effectively have a arcade cabinet appearing on your TV display. Yeah. With a, a menu, much like the RetroPie thing we've talked about in the past, yep. where you have all these different games on there. You scroll down, select the one you want, and it fires up and it works. But the advantage of this is that um, it's very much... These ones are, are quite orientated towards the um, one-on-one fighting games, kind of like Street Fighter and, and King of Fighters, that sort of thing, which is why they have the double sets of controls. Um, as, as you said, with your with your with the one you got last week, very nice set of controls, um, feel very positive, kind of does feel like, you know, an arcade system. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's really, really good. So yeah, mine arrived um, and... I was promised one with 1,300 games in it, and the system I was sold basically said, well, have a a memory card on the board um, that has 1,000 games on it, but we'll ship you also a a, a packing card with more games on it. I didn't get that second card, so they're apparently posting that to me. But, um, yeah, quite (laughs) 1,000 games, quite a lot of games. A lot of good stuff on there. A lot of stuff that brought back many memories for me. Um, it works great. You can set it so it has a setting so that it either looks, um, uh, it runs at the standard resolution kind of, you know, and looks like the original arcade games did with a kind of slightly pixelated look. Or they have like a smoothing option to try and improve how the graphics look on a on a high definition television. I turned that off because I thought it was terrible. Yeah, a lot of them um, don't look good that way. Yeah, you can control the the difficulty of the games you can control whether they work kind of like on a credit system where you have to press the one player button to add more virtual coins to it or whether it just free plays um the games on there are well there's a very wide range of stuff from the i would say probably the mid 80s onwards there's none of the vector type games on there no um the of the classic arcade games um, there's Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man. A lot of the classic arcade games are, arcade games are there on the, in like in a weird Japanese version. 
Um, so, for instance, on, on my one, it, it has Pac-Man, but it's called Puck-Man, which was the original name of Pac-Man in Japan. Um, and it is effectively the original Japanese version. Um, so, yeah, Which, is, to me, is almost are... unplayable, some of those, because those are four controlled, up, down, left, right. Yeah, you use that's, an eight-way right. control and... stick, and it doesn't work as well. I I I played a bit of Burger Time with mine, and uh, I didn't find it was too bad. But I guess that's going to depend on exactly what type of stick you use, and then kind of how yep. how good you are at it. And and the thing is, the you know with any of these games, the initial levels are pretty easy. So uh, that's going to be a problem as you get uh, more into the game, and it becomes much more frantic. Um, so yes, that that is a problem. But as I say, these are really designed for the the the, the two big types of games that are on there are the the kind of the uh, Japanese uh, upward scrolling shooters, yeah, uh, the kind of what yeah what they call the the bullet storm games because yep. they're just insane. There's a whole load of them on metal there. slug uh, and all that. Exactly, and then the. Um, and then, as I say, the one-on-one fighting games. The the class of game that's on there that are my particular favourites are the kind of the the side-scrolling beat-em-ups like Double Dragon, and yep. then some of the branded ones like the Tur- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and there's a couple of X-Men games on there and that sort of thing. I uh, The Simpsons was another one that was like that, where basically you're constantly trying to get further to the right into the game as you as you kind of walk along with your characters uh, and. Uh, enemies come in from each side and try and attack you. And that's fun with the two-player stick. Like, Cole and I play quite a few of those games. Um, You know, you don't have to drop quarters in an arcade, and you just sit there and you play for an hour, and it's a lot of fun. That's right. And it it lets lets you get to see part of these games you never saw in the arcades, because you were never skilled enough, uh, and never had the money enough to really... Because those types of games really were the first kind of pay-to-play Mm-hmm. Because effectively, you had to be incredibly skilled to make one quarter get you three or four levels in, and of course, you know most people didn't didn't you know they didn't have those sort of skills straight from the off. No. So you would end up feeding these games a lot of quarters just to try and get further into the game. And what they would do is, if you died on on you know the third screen, you could put a quarter in and pick it up from that point onwards. Gauntlet so was the first game that I remember doing that in. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of a top-down dungeon crawler. Yeah, Gauntlet was effectively. I mean, Gauntlet um, effectively you were paying for a timer because yes. even even if you were doing nothing, your health would decrease. It was like your, um, you know, you were constantly being poisoned and dying in that game because you could avoid all the monsters and you would still die after about two minutes because your health had just declined to nothing. And so it was really kind of a party game because it was a four-player game. Yeah, the original Gauntlet. That's right. That was that was yeah. fun. But so, it, it, how do you like it though? I, I like it an awful lot. I th- it's the whole setup's very cool. The thing lights up when you turn it on. Changes colors. Um, changes colors. All of that. You know, it feels good. It's big. It's chunky. There's plenty of space for two people to sit to it. It's great. We slapped it on the kitchen table. Hooked it up to the big TV we have in the kitchen. Um, and it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of overwhelming the number of games that are on there, and they're just kind yeah. of in a list. There's no real organization or anything like that to it um uh, and there are some on there you look at it and you think i the you don't even get like the the preview video so you're not even sure what the game is um all mine is, have preview videos yeah a couple of mine the preview a couple of mine the previews don't appear to work properly or the the preview is just a a, a, a screen a splash and, screen and the splash yeah. screen doesn't really tell you anything about what the game is like um yeah. so you know, and yeah, some of the I games are ridiculous. Put, there was one that you're 
Cole and I play your your hands and you're making the little gun pew, 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 with your fingers in the yeah. game and like bugs mm-hmm. are flying at you and you're shooting the bugs and you can swat them and you can grab things. It's absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't play very well at all, but we laughed our butts off for 10 minutes yeah. playing this game. We'll probably never play it again, but for that 10 minutes, we were just rolling on the floor. It was so much fun to play. And that's what this thing is for. That's what the Pandora box is for. You can play it by yourself, would, but it's yeah. better with people. What I would say is, is you know, you can go to Walmart or Target and you can spend $60, $70 on some kind of, you know, 20-in-1, 30-in-1 kind of joystick-type game that might have Atari or Sega or Nintendo or something like this. We've talked about the Nintendo Classics and the yeah. SNES Classics before, yeah? But this is only a very little bit more money than that, and you are yep. getting a huge amount of truly arcade-quality games. Now... I understand what reading a, a couple of Reddit boards about this is that things like the 4S and the 5S and everything are are deemed to be clones of the original Pandora's box. They're not jammer based. They're running an emulator on Linux. Um, they're not vastly different from the RetroPie setup you've got up. You've no. got set up. But the thing is, it's all done for you. Yep. You have to have all you all the only technical skill you need to be able to do is connect it to a TV. Yeah. So if that's you want to play smart, that's the benefit right there. Yeah, you want to play some old arcade games, some old school arcade games, and you don't want to spend a lot of money. This is a very, very reasonable way of doing it. Um, I wouldn't want like to comment on the legality of the games in this system. Um, they, I one presumes that they are officially licensed. I don't know. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. You have the five S. I, I, of course, I. As I talked before, I, that's what I was trying to buy, and they sent me a 4S. Well, my replacement, although I I can keep the other one, which now, yeah. of course, is going to go into Cole's room, and he's very yeah. excited for that. He's going to get the 4S. I have that I'm playing the 6S. Uh, right. It's got 1388 games on there. Um, many are exactly like the 4S, but there's some other. I don't know what the differences are. I was a little disappointed that Mortal Kombat wasn't included. I thought it was. Um, oh, I have Mortal Kombat on mine. Just yeah, the original one. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy with the original one. There's no Mortal Kombat <clears throat> at all. And uh, oh well. I, I've got to. I've got to be honest. I knew there were quite a few of King of Fighters and Street Fighter variants. It's kind of no ridiculous. Idea. It's I had ridiculous. No idea how many there were? <laughs> yeah, it's like two pages of King of Fighters and Street Fighter, and there's some that you know here in the West we've never heard of. Um, yeah, but it's it's all good. I I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it matters which one you get. I think they're all pretty much the same. I I don't yeah. see anything better about the six S than the four S. They it it's identical. Once you get into it, the menus look a little bit different, but other than that, it's the same thing. So if you're looking at playing some fun stuff, um, jump on eBay. They've got them on Amazon. They're at Walmart.com. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, some yeah. of them are bootlegs off of other bootlegs. Who, it's probably going to work for you. You just plug it into your TV, plug it into an outlet, turn it on, and have some fun. Now, one thing actually sh- I should address is that um, the initial question I had, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners will have, is, well, what happens if you want to add more games to it? Um, this is apparently not simple to do. No, and that's not this why you buy the system. No, it's not. But but you know the the nature of, of people is that uh, particularly people who listen to our show is that they may well want to say, okay, well I've now got a you know arcade console 
joystick system with with an emulator in it, I'd like to add some more games to it. Um, for, I've done a bit of searching around, and uh, so far it is not easy. No, it does have USB ports on the back. You kind of would hope you'd be sort of stick put a stick in and load them up. I haven't found a, even a way of doing that yet. So for the moment. You know, if you are going to buy one of these, expect to rely on the games that are on there rather than um, add extra ones to it. So our Wikipedia entry this week is Netflix. Never uh, did you? Yeah, some <laughs> they do something. Some, I think some fly by night yeah. thing. You know. Never so they're uh, headquarters in Los Gatos, California. They're founded in 1997. Stop and think about that for a minute, David. 1997. Guess what was not big in 1997, and that's streaming uh, videos over the internet. Um, And DVDs were not big. DVDs didn't really hit big, big until 99. Um, Yeah. You know, this was so, they were so early. Um, But it was founded in uh, August, on August 29th, 1997, uh, by Mark Randolph. Been to Los Reed Hastings. Yep. There's an excellent, uh, or at least there was in 2001, I think when I was at 2000, 2001, there was an excellent Mexican restaurant on the high street in Los Gatos. Um, maybe, maybe that's where Netflix, the idea came from. Uh, well, they they, <laughs> uh, they came up with the idea for Netflix while commuting between their homes in Santa Cruz and Pure Astra's headquarters in Sunnyvale while waiting for government regulators to approve the merger of a couple companies, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, Hastings invested $2.5 million in startup cash for Netflix. And they knew what they kind of wanted to do. They wanted to be... They, they liked Amazon, but they wanted to try to sell um, something over the Internet. And they rejected VHS tapes because they were too expensive to stock and too delicate to ship. When they heard of DVDs, which came out in uh, 1997... Um, th- that's what they th- the whole thing was. It was going to sell and rent DVDs by mail, and of course the the selling part went away pretty quick. Um, but the rental, I it, remember back in the day, David. I don't know if they had it over there, but here in the United States, I remember Netflix was a big thing, and it wasn't streaming. You would subscribe, and you would pick a couple movies, and they would ship it to you. You'd watch them, put them back in a self sealing envelope pre-posted stamped already and put it back in the mailbox and when they got it back they'd send you your next movie and there were different tiers i think i was in a tier where you can have up to maybe three or five movies at a time well yeah the 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 substantial business income of video and uh, dvd rental stores was late fees because most people would rent a rent a movie and then forget to bring it back on time and i remember doing many during the uh, during the eighties and nineties, doing many panic runs where you realise you've forgotten to return the movies, you know, and you want to get them through the through the uh, into the box slot of the store before you you know the day ticks over and they charge you extra. Um, and and the the beauty of Netflix was that instead of having that, they basically just charge you a monthly subscription, and then however many films you were entitled to hold on to at a time. They would send those to you, and then basically you held held on to them until you decide to send them back. So there was no late fees. You still pay your subscription, and you know if there was one movie you hadn't, if you if you say you had three discs, 
a three three disc tier and there was one movie you yeah. hadn't got around to watching then you would just stick on the shelf and just make sure you, uh, just make sure you return the other two so you could get two more uh, and then when you were ready you would watch it and then send it back it was it was quite a disruptive model and it really kind of that but even before streaming came along really torpedoed the the blockbuster dvd rental model it right absolutely did well, Blockbuster offered to buy Netflix for $50 million at one point, and of course that didn't go through. Uh, in February well, yeah, and 2007... It's a good, good thing they didn't, because you know yeah. what Blockbuster would have done? They would have quietly killed it. Yeah, oh, absolutely they would have. Yeah. No question. In February 2007, the company delivered its billionth DVD and began to move away from its original core business model of DVDs by, interest, by uh, introducing video on demand via the internet. Netflix grew as DVD sales from 2006 to 2011. Think about this. This is a very brave thing to do. Here's a company that made all of its money in DVD rentals, sending them in the mail, having the foresight to say, you know what? Internet speeds for the consumers are going up. Our costs are going down to um, stream video content. What if we move our company into the streaming service and away from the DVD, the physical hard copies, we think that's the way to go. Now, I remember back then when they started making this move, and I didn't know what to think. Um, and for a while, there was a tier where you could get both, and then they moved away from that where it's either DVD or streaming. And I was in a conundrum because I really kind of was addicted to getting these things in the mail, but I thought, you know what, I'll... I'll I'm going to try the on-demand service only, the online service only. And, of course, like everybody else, I never went back because it, it just it made way too much sense. Yeah, and I, I, it was incredible because the two, the two businesses, apart from the fact that they're serving content, are not remotely alike. The logistics around sending DVDs to people on demand is nothing like streaming at all. No. Um, and I remember everybody uh, that I spoke to when they announced they were going to do this was somewhat confused because it's 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 like it's it's almost like you know killing the golden goose. You're making all this money on DVDs and you say we're not going to do that anymore, or we're going to move away from that, and we're going to move to something that's going to kill our own business if it's successful. Um, and yet they pulled it off. And then of course nowadays you look at netflix and it's almost even like that the, they're a streaming service second but they're a content company first yeah you know yeah, they're, because they're, that's a, where... they're a movie and tv studio mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah when you think of netflix you don't think of well i'm going to go watch you know such and such movie on netflix some people do that but it's about the original content on netflix that's what you get netflix for yeah and and actually i was surprised because i we we bought into netflix only relatively recently we got us we've got to had an amazon prime subscription for a long time so we've been using the amazon service um and we effectively got to the point where my wife was really struggling to find anything she wanted to watch on amazon prime anymore so i said oh well you know let's try netflix and see whether you like it i could not believe going on there i knew they had shows but i didn't understand how many shows they have there's yeah, a whole load impressive. of really good stuff on there that doesn't get any press nobody's ever heard of Yep. And yet it's, you watch it and it's all great, you know. And here's the funny thing. They've been doing this for a while. Here's a, here's a show for you to watch, David. And I, you probably never heard of it. 
And I discovered it when it first came out on Netflix, and I watched it, and I loved it. And I think there's only two seasons. It might be three, but I think it's only two. It's called Lilyhammer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. It's this mob guy that goes into kind of undercover, or not undercover, uh, witness protection after ratting out. It's it's one of the guys from The Sopranos, and he plays basically the same character. Um, right. it, and it was originally pitched as a spinoff to The Sopranos, but he couldn't get permission, so he just did it this way. Um, and he moves to Lilyhammer and that's the show. And it's, it's great. I loved it. And yeah. I think it went two or three episodes, uh, two or three seasons and then it was canceled. Uh, I think if it came out now, it would be a, a much bigger hit, but it's one of those things that no one at the time talked about and no one's talked about it since. It's a great series. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It was goofy and funny. And when you think they're start going to go serious, nope back to the kind of the goofy, funny stuff. And it was great. So there's one for your Netflix queue. People get, yeah. Add Lily hammer to your watch list. You you will not regret it. It's, it's a good time. And Leanna's watched several. Um, I mean, she tends to work through the whole seasons of all these things. So she's watched several things that kind of were on minor us channels that we would never get over here. Um, she was on pretty little liars. She watched, Yep. which I think was a Showtime show originally. She watched four or five seasons of Teen Wolf, which was like a modern TV update of Teen Wolf, the movie. Um, the kind of, you know, it, ha- it has that whole Twilight uh, young adult thing going on. Um, she enjoyed You can that. finally watch the Marvel stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, legally, without downloading it on Torrent. And, and I have right. to say, it's one of the things I like also like about Netflix is that Unlike other services, they're, they kind of have it. They, they really understand the idea that, you know, the app's got the app experience has got to be the same across all your platforms and the yep. capabilities need to be the same across all your platforms. So exactly. once you have a multi once you have a multi device subscription, because the initial tier we were on just basically let you run it on one device. Once you had a multi device subscription, it's it's trivial to um, download stuff for offline viewing. Yep. You know, and, and it's quick. The, the video files are optimized. They look great, and yet they're not large. Um, it, it's it's easy to use. You get all the information you want about the different episodes. You know, so you get the plot summaries, you get the cast, you get all the same stuff you get on the other platforms. But, you know, it's really slickly well done. Yeah. Um, Netflix is the model of a streaming service. Um, we're about to be, within the next three years, buried, buried in subscription service video on demand stuff. I mean, if you think it's big now, <laughs> just you wait, yeah. you know, almost every major, uh, broadcasting network is coming out with their own stuff. Uh, Disney's coming out with their stuff. Um, Warner brothers is coming out with like DC universe. I mean, it, it's going to be huge. And of all of them coming out, uh, even CBS has their CBS now that the only thing worth watching is, of course, is the new Star Trek series, which is really good. Um, the only one that I think I'm going to subscribe to, and, and I also have Amazon Prime, but their offerings are nothing, just nothing compared to Netflix. It's it's a it's a shadow of what Netflix yeah. offers. Um, is going to be this, the Disney's thing. Mm. You know, John Favreau is creating The Mandalorian, a new Star Wars um base series for that platform. Marvel series is going to be on there. Um, yep. 
it's, you know, that's um, going to be the big one. Yeah. What's what's great about Netflix in the UK is that a lot of these services that aren't available outside the US are carried by Netflix outside the US. So, yep. for instance, the uh, CBS All Access sh- um, channel, which is not available outside the US, which, of course, has the new Star Trek Discovery series on. Yep. is on the UK Netflix. So I was able to watch that on UK Netflix, no problem. Um, so I hope that continues. I hope that I, they don't end up launching all these services all over the place and I have to subscribe to all of them. Well, I think there's going to be a crash on these services in five years. In in two and a half, well, I mean, I'm going to go less. In, in less than two years, you're going to have um, a huge selection of these. And... I think within four years, half of them will fall off and they'll partner up with places like Amazon or Hulu or Netflix uh, because you just can't have this many. I mean, there's only so many in the hours in the day that people can devote to watching this kind of stuff. And, it, you, you know, you, you, one of the benefits are, hey, I can subscribe to Netflix and YouTube live TV and I don't really need my cable box at home anymore. Um but then you start adding more and more of these kind of channels, and then all of a sudden you might as well have your cable box at home because it's cheaper than all these subscription services. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a, um, a an explosion of growth, and then a big cons- um, a cons- uh, what's the word consolidation. Um, consolidation. Thank you. I just yeah. completely drew a blank there. Uh, <laughs> in the same market within a few years, because without original content, you're not going to succeed. And guess what? Original content is very expensive. So yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. That's my prediction. Should be interesting. Uh, it, while we're talking about Netflix, um, news broke yesterday that they've canceled Iron Fist. Yeah, I'm okay so, with that. Uh, are you? I, I See, I'm not, I've, I enjoyed the first season of Iron Fist, even though I, I, I thought it was terrible. Thoughts. You didn't like it. I, I, even though I saw its flaws, I did actually enjoy it. Um, and I'd heard the second season was much, much better than the first season. So, uh, um, I'm, yeah. It is, but that's not saying a lot. They In the first season, they told a two-episode story in, what, ten episodes? It was yeah. so long and drawn out. And I didn't care at all about any of the characters. They were all boring. Um, second season, almost the same thing. Um, mildly better except the last episode was really good. And the last 10 minutes of the last episode sets up what's supposed to happen. And that was by far the best thing that Net, uh, Iron Fist had ever done. And of course now it's canceled. Although I think it's going to be resurrected on Disney or you're going to see the continuation of other Marvel shows. Um, it was by far, not even close, the weakest of the Marvel Netflix series. I don't mind that they canceled it at all. It, no, it's I'm fine with that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, because Luke Cage, the first season was much better. The second season of Luke Cage is not that good. The, no. the first two seasons of Daredevil were just brilliant. Um, uh, the Defenders was okay, but it was a waste yeah, Defender, of what yeah, it could have been. The, I, I, the problem with Defenders is that actually their decision on all of these series to focus on the hand was a mistake. Yeah. Because... Well, they've you got know, they've got past that now, which is good. Uh, yeah, they have. Yeah, but it, it was just it would it just wasn't they weren't exciting as a villain. From no, the start, they were they, you know they were meant to be so lethal, and yet they weren't lethal. No. Um, because of the pacing issues with the shows, is that there was long periods of time when they appeared to be doing the you know the villains appeared to be doing very little, uh, and then of course you know every time they would set somebody up as a big bad, 
then they get defeated, and then you find, oh, no, they're not the big bad. There's somebody else who's a big bad. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. well, how many – these guys have all these big bads, and yet yet none of them seem and, – and also everything they did seemed to be dreadfully long-winded and convoluted. And Well, you know, I just didn't understand why each season had to have, you know, it's basically one big story. Daredevil season two yeah. was smart in that it was almost two different seasons, seasons – and then they ra- they combine them at the very end. Half of it is the Electra story, and the other half is the Punisher story, which is great. Yeah. And then they bring it together at the end. Yeah, brilliant. I loved it. I don't understand why they can't have standalone episodes in these yeah. Marvel series. That would make it yeah, so much of, better. Kind of like a comic book, or or perhaps well, you know, think about like Defenders. A- okay, yeah. the episode one or uh, yeah, episode one of Defenders. It's it's Iron Fist and Daredevil teaming up. The next one is Jessica Jones and Daredevil. The next one is Iron Fist and uh, Luke Cage, and it's called Heroes for Hire. And there can be some common thread between them, but they're standalone. That would have been just brilliant. But I don't understand why they don't do stuff like that. That's how they do it in the comics. Uh, and of course, you know the comics as well do much. You know, in a, in a in a run, they might do uh, two or three overlapping stories. Exactly. Rather than having just one great big long story, you know. Yeah. So. so yeah. Anyways, I mean, what do we I, know? It is. It is. It is a problem with with those types of shows. I mean, much as I love the Punisher series, it was amazing how often he got beaten very nearly to death. Yeah. <laughs> like two or two or three episodes, and uh, you know, um, it was it was like, oh, come on, give the guy a break. <laughs> it was. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode of TechFan369. We do encourage you guys to send us feedback. It's the show at TechFanPodcast.com, of course. Uh, you can send us feedback on um, social media, Twitter, we're TechFanPodcast. You can leave a show note at either MyMac.com or TechFanPodcast.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Read your feedback right here on the show. Thanks to Russ and Nemo for sending in uh, the same video. (laughs) That was really good. I enjoyed it. And, uh, of course, thanks to Tom for sending in his disagreement of um, what I described at the beginning of the show about Apple. We will see you next week. See you next week, David? Uh, Yeah, should be. Should be okay. 